Thanks for joining us for today's message. We encourage you to email us and let us know what God is currently doing in your life. Or if you'd like to support the ministry financially, you can do so here on our website. For now, we hope you enjoy this message. Thanks for tuning in today. Hey, good morning, everyone. <clears throat> so glad to have you with us today in our service. Of course, the auditorium is empty except for the, the filming crew, but we're so glad that you've joined us online today. The good news is this will be the last Sunday that we have to be online. We're actually coming live, all of us together next Sunday, as you heard on the announcement. And we really are excited about that, to everyone to get back in church. And, and uh, so I'm encouraging you to be part of the service next week. And um, let me just say this to, before we begin to receive the offering this morning. I know there may be some of you who maybe you're not ready to return to this Sunday service, and um, I respect that. Uh, I don't, you're not going to be looked down at at all. It's just um, everybody deals with situations differently. But I do want to encourage you and let you know that God hasn't given you a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. And I believe with all my heart has been prayer that has kept the church uh, healthy and strong during this time. And, and we wish no ill will, and Ill will on anyone. I know people have been sick, and there have been people who have died uh, through this situation, but I'm grateful that uh, this church family has been protected, and, uh, and we give God the glory. But I do want to encourage you that, um, that when you're ready, we're going to look forward to seeing you here, and it's going to be a glorious time together as we grow in grace and truth. This morning, I'm going to receive the offering. I want to read a scripture out of Mark, the fourth chapter. In Mark, the fourth chapter, Jesus is actually teaching here on the parable of the sower. And he says, now listen carefully to what I'm saying. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. And be wary of the shrewd advice that tells you how to get ahead in the world on your own. Giving, not getting, is the way. Generosity begets generosity. Stinginess impoverishes. Then Jesus said, God's kingdom is like seed thrown on a field by a man who then goes to bed and forgets about it. In other words, he doesn't lay in bed all night worrying if that seed is going to grow. He understands. He, understand, he may not understand the process, but he knows that God has blessed that lifeless-looking seed that when it gets into the environment to which is conducive for germinating, it will do its part. So he rests in that. The Bible says that the seed sprouts and grows. He has no idea how it happens. The earth does it without his help. First a green stem of grass, then a bud, then the ripened grain. When the grain is fully formed, he reaps. And I love this part, harvest time. This is the message translation. How can we picture God's kingdom? What kind of story can we use? It's like a pine nut. When it lands on the ground, it is quite small as seeds go. Yet once it is planted, it grows. Amen. Once it is planted, it grows. How much? Into a huge pine tree with thick branches. Eagles nest in it. Amen. See, when your financial seed leaves your hand, it does not leave your life. God literally promised that he would bless that seed and it would increase, the Bible says, from 30 to 60 to 100 fold. Now, that is something you can be confident in because when Jesus said something, it was God speaking and God doesn't stretch the truth. He says what he means and means what he says. So when you bring your offering to the Lord, your tithes and offerings this morning, <clears throat> just imagine that you're planting seed into 39 years of cultivated soil, good, rich soil, praise God. And because it is, 
You rest in God. God will make sure that it grows and brings a supernatural harvest back into your life. And um, thank you for being faithful in your giving all these six weeks that we've been online. Uh, really appreciate your faithfulness, and God will honor you and bless you for it. Please let me pray over your offering today. Father, I just bless you as we bring our tithes to the storehouse that, God, you <clears throat> see the actions of your people's faith and their love for you. <clears throat> so we ask you today, <clears throat> we ask you today to bless this offering. We trust in you, God, for a supernatural work of your spirit upon every heart and life at Faith Family Church. For the first thing we want to do is reap a harvest of your, of your word, the harvest, God, of your presence, the harvest of your anointing, God. And then, Father, thank you. <clears throat> because we're seeding this into your kingdom, we can expect a supernatural return back into our lives. And, God, we thank you. Just lift your hands right now and give him praise. Thank you, Father, for a divine and supernatural return to your precious people. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. So like I said, next Sunday, it's Mother's Day, and we're going to have a glorious time together. And um, uh, so we trust that you can either make it to the 8.30 or the 10.30 service. Praise the Lord. And of course, don't forget about next Thursday, which you saw on the screen, that it is the National Day of Prayer. So I want you to be um, <clears throat> setting some time aside to pray over our nation, <clears throat> pray over our president. Uh, pray over our local authorities, uh, our governor, and, and all those that are in authority uh, in our state, that God will get their attention and they will obey his word. Amen and amen. I want you to open your Bibles, if you would, to 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians 5, and as you do, I want to pray over the word today. And I want you to receive what God has for you today, for your life, and how it will benefit you. Father, I pray today that you will anoint your word, that God, as the word goes forth, it will create life on the inside of us, strength on the inside of us. I believe, God, for revelation knowledge to flow, and that inspired word, God, will, will bless us, God, today and change our lives from one degree of glory to another, and we thank you for that in Jesus' precious name. Amen. In 2 Corinthians 5, uh, 1976, I had a good friend of mine uh, who's probably watching on uh, today on, on, on the screen, that uh, came to me as we were working together in, in, our, in our business, and uh, he came to me and just simply said a phrase that actually put me on the back of my heels. He says, did you know that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus? Well, I'd never heard of anything like that before. I'd been saved at that time five years, got saved in 71, so this is 1976, and um, I had no, I've never heard such a thing as we're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, but it sparked it sparked in me a drive and desire to really seek out the Word of God, to see what the Word of God says about righteousness. And I was shocked. The whole Bible from the very beginning in Genesis all the way through the Bible, it talks about God's righteousness and the, and the benefits of his righteousness, how to attain to it, and what it will do for you in your life. Amen. And as I grew in the insight and revelation of, of righteousness, what it did, it really helped me to get, uh, help me to approach God's throne room without sin consciousness. God wants you to have a righteousness consciousness uh, because when you approach the throne room of God, always remember this, you're not by yourself. You're not alone. You're actually coming to God's presence. You're coming into his presence through the, um, through the high priest of your confession, Jesus Christ, uh, and he is the one who filters your life so that you have right standing with God when you come. 
And I want to read 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. Therefore, if any man or any person is engrafted in Christ, as the Amplified, the, uh, the Messiah, he is a new creation, watch this, a new creature altogether. And those of you that have experienced salvation, you know exactly what Paul is talking about here. Now, but he goes, he says, the old previous moral and spiritual condition has passed away. Behold, the fresh and new has come. But all things pertaining to this new creation, this new life you have in Christ, has passed, uh, uh, excuse me, all things are from God, who through Jesus Christ reconciled us to himself. Now, that word reconciled actually is defined in the next phrase in the Amplified. Received us into favor, brought us into harmony with himself, and gave to us the ministry of reconciliation. Watch this, that by word and deed, we might aim to bring others into harmony with him. See, there's no one more qualified than you and I to tell others about reconciliation or that how awesome God is that he would restore us sinners into a, a, not only an intimate relationship with him, but complete harmony with him. You and I are qualified for that, praise God, because every day we fight the same battles as, as sinners do. It's just that. The difference is we have the answers to conquering those battles, and it is through God's word. But watch this. He says, he gave to us the ministry of reconciliation, that by word and deed we might aim to bring others into harmony with him. That's the gospel. Now, that is the true gospel. It was God personally present in Christ, reconciling, watch this, and restoring the world to favor with himself. Not counting up and holding against men their trespasses, but canceling them. And committing to us the message of reconciliation, of the restoration to favor. The reason so many people run from God is because they don't understand at all. They think through religion, you know, God is the author of both life and death. He's the author of both storms and peace. I mean, he's the author of both. And of course, you know, if you believe that, in your sinful condition, you will always feel that he's coming after you because, you know, you know you don't do anything right. But that's not God. God reconciled or brought the world into harmony with himself, accepted the world uh, into harmony with himself through the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. The word reconcile means to restore friendly relationships with, cause to coexist in harmony. Man, that's awesome. Verse 20, so we are Christ's ambassadors, God making his appeal as it were through us. Amen. And what is God's appeal that he wants to make through us? It's that we wouldn't get what, that we, we, neither we or those we minister to, won't get what we deserve. That, that's the goodness of God. That he doesn't give you what you and I what we deserve. Amen. And uh, Christ became sin for us. Praise God, so that we could be delivered from eternal damnation. Let's go on here. So we are Christ's ambassadors, God making his appeal as a word through us. Amen. Can't do it through anyone else, through us. We, as Christ's personal representatives, beg you for his sake to lay hold of the divine favor now offered you and be reconciled to God. Now, you have to remember, when Paul was teaching her, even though he was called to the Gentiles, Peter was called to the Jews, there were still many Jews in his, in his realm of uh, influence. There were many Jews that would come to listen to him. So he's, he's begging them, man, accept God's favor. Receive reconciliation. It's not found in the law of regulation. It's found in the law of revelation, the, re- the revealing will of God 
concerning his unconditional love. Let's go on. It says, um, for our sake, he made Christ virtually to be sin. Who knew, the word knew means he never became intimate with sin. He never transgressed God's word, but he became sin for us. That, so that in and through him, we might become endued with, viewed as being in and examples of the righteousness of God. What we ought to be approved and acceptable in right relationship with him by his goodness, not ours. So God is wanting an ambassador. He's wanting people to carry his presence, his presence, his love, his compassion, his mercy, his long suffering, all the nine fruit of the spirit in Galatians 5.22. He wants us to carry that into the world that he loves and died for. Amen. Every good thing from God comes to the redeeming love of Christ, including right standing with God. Now, in 1 Corinthians 1, Paul's first letter uh, to the church at Corinth, he said this, it is because of him, that's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us, us sinners, this is talking about BC, before Christ, he has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. That's what you receive when you receive Christ into your life. So, so, he's, so Christ, listen, he is our wisdom, our righteousness, our sanctification, and our redemption. Well, what does that mean? I just said it earlier. When you come into the presence of God, you don't come by yourself. You have to understand that. Otherwise, if you don't, you'll be guilt-ridden, and you want to retreat from God's presence instead of going into his presence. We, we, are, we have a representative that went before us, died on the cross, and then ascended to heaven for us, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. His name is Jesus, the Christ, the anointed one of God. He's the one. He's the one that qualifies us to, to be face-to-face with the Father. Do you remember Moses? Uh, he, he wanted to see God. And uh, so God hit him in the cleft of the rock, and he walked past him. The Bible says that Moses saw his hinder parts. And because uh, no, one, uh, no one, you know, at that time could look at God. And so it, today, how is God seen? God is seen within himself, meaning the body of Christ. He is seen in us. He is seen through us. And that's how responsible we have to be according to, I mean, in walking with God so that we do display his glory on this side of heaven. Now, there's no wisdom apart from Christ. There's no right, righteousness, that, that, but that is found in Jesus Christ. It's the same with sanctification and redemption. Now, I want to read Romans, the fifth chapter, uh, and turn there, if you would, Romans 5. Oh, there's so much. I mean, the Bible, I won't, be, I won't get through with this. We'll continue this series uh, on righteousness. But in Romans, the fifth chapter, uh, I just want to read this because it's, it's so beautifully uh, said regarding um, what God says about righteousness. For, for when we were yet without strength, the Bible says, in due time, Christ, watch us, died for the ungodly. That qualified me. All right? Now, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare die. But God commended. That word commended literally means he, he expressed to a greater degree his love toward us, us sinners, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Oh, man, that should give every one of us hope. And then it says this, much more 
then, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. For if, watch this, for if when we were enemies, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled or received into divine favor, amen, restored to friendly relationships, so what it means, caused to coexist in harmony, hallelujah, we shall be, oh, excuse me, by whom we have now received the atonement. Let me read that again. Not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Hallelujah. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all men have sinned, amen, let me read on a little bit longer. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. What does that mean? Well, if you drove down Minnesota Avenue 100 miles an hour, but there was no law that says 30, even though you're really becoming a threat to anybody who might be out on the road, there's no sentencing because there's no law. The Apostle Paul said in Romans 7, he said, I would not even know that covetousness was a sin, until I read the Bible that covetousness was, a, covetous, covetousness, covetousness was a sin. And then I knew. And then conviction came. I mean, conviction is such a wonderful gift from God. Because without it, you can't repent. If God didn't show you the condition of your life, then you would never have the desire to pursue him. You would live in your state of spiritual death, separated from God, living under the curse, having no peace, no spiritual identity, but that's not what... So Jesus came to restore those things to you as a sinner and to you as a believer. Praise God. Amen. Now, today I'm going to share a few points on God's righteousness. I really believe it's important, especially the day we're living in, that you understand right standing with God because it is the divine connection to intimate fellowship with him. It's, it's the confidence that's restored to you as a believer so that instead of retreating from God when you, mess, when you mess up, you actually go to him because there is one who reconciled you and one who stands in the gap for you. Uh, Jesus, the Bible says, he's our intercessor. In other words, he stands between you and God supporting you. That's what Jesus does. Amen. If you have a tender uh, heart, a compassionate, merciful heart, and you have a heart that it's easily convicted by the things you say and the things you do. Praise God. Jesus is right there to stand in the gap for you as you go before the Father. Amen. Jesus is our righteousness. Hallelujah. Righteousness simply means right standing with God. Right standing with God is why Jesus was clothed in the flesh. Amen. And, and it's right standing with God that we receive God's divine favor regarding the gift of salvation. Praise the Lord. You didn't get saved because you were worthy. You got saved because Jesus is worthy. Amen. But you are valuable. Otherwise, he wouldn't have gave his life for you. Amen. Now, if we were raised in more of a religious setting, you might have even heard the word righteous in uh, Scripture that is often used as more in the religious setting. And that, uh, that Scripture is in Romans, uh, the third chapter. And it says this. There is none righteous, no, not one. And if you just stop there, and that's all that scripture said, there would be no hope regarding your eternal future or any, regarding your future period. 
See, before you get saved, and it's frustrating because even if you're a success before you get saved, the devil makes sure he takes it away from you. You got to, uh, the price, of what, it, it, I've seen people that become wealthy and then they get sick in their bodies and they cannot, uh, they cannot um, buy their health. And so they, 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 they experience the curse of sickness and disease when actually they could have had both prosperity and health. But you got to put God first in your life. So people pay a price eventually if they keep rejecting God out of their lives, okay? Now, so, so if that's all that's said, there wouldn't be any hope regarding eternity, but that's not the entire verse. In fact, here in Romans 3, Paul was actually quoting Psalms 14 uh, where David is defining the spiritual condition of, 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 of men, of man's hearts. And I just wanted to read this, Psalms 14, verse 1. Listen to this. The fool hath said in his heart, there's no God. Well, there, you're in trouble right there. There is no God, the fool says. They are corrupt. They that say that. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. But he didn't find any. They are all gone aside. They are altogether become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Now, this, of course, is before Calvary. This is before Jesus died on the cross. So Jesus was looking for one righteous person. You know what the Bible says in Isaiah? He didn't find any. So he, he chose his right arm, which is his, the second person of the Godhead. He chose him to become our sin for us so that we could attain to having right standing with God. Amen. Then Romans 3, there's another verse that's often quoted as well. It is verse 23. For all have sinned and come short of God's glory or the glory of God. Amen. Again, if that's all we knew is these two verses, there's none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. What hope would any of us have regarding our futures here on earth and our eternal futures? Well, there would, again, there would be none. But these two verses in and by themselves is not the gospel. So to receive the full revelation of what Paul was teaching here, you got to continue to read from verse 23 on. So let's do that. Paul says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now watch this. Being justified freely, made right in God's sight by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God, God, this was, this was not man's idea, this was God's, whom God has set forth to be the propitiation. That word simply means the atoning victim. So God had an atoning victim. Remember when Abraham, um, if you haven't read the story, Abraham um, took his son uh, Isaac up to the altar uh, to sacrifice him. And, um, uh, and, but instead of having to follow through with that, the angel of the Lord stopped Abraham and, that he didn't have to do in the natural, we had already done in his heart. And then the Bible says that he looked, and there was a ram caught in the thicket. And therefore, God had provided. In fact, it says, God provided himself a sacrifice. It was himself. All right? That's exactly what redemption is about. Man could not buy, die for his sins. If, if man could have died for his sins, Abel would have qualified. Because the Bible says, and we'll get to him in a minute, he was righteous before God. But man couldn't because his blood was tainted by sin. Only God himself could save mankind. And he did it through the second person of the Godhead and the third person of the Godhead. Amen. Thank God for that. So, let's continue. Now, 
verse 25, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation, atoning, atoning victim, through faith, watch this, in his blood, not faith in your works, faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness, not ours, his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, not ours, that he might be just and the justifier of who? Of him which believes in Jesus. Hallelujah. Where is the boasting then? Well, it's excluded by what law? Of works? Of course not, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Amen. We did nothing to deserve salvation, but Jesus did everything to provide it. And of course, that word salvation, really, um, it, it's all inclusive. It means deliverance. It means protection. It means um, rebirth of the human spirit. It means healing for your body, peace for your soul, and protection from evil. That's the four specific things that salvation means. That's what Jesus provided for you on the cross. The word righteous in the dictionary means characterized by uprightness, now listen, or morality. This is important. Morally right or justifiable. Acting in an upright moral way, virtuous. In the Hebrew, it's rightness, justification, moral virtue. Again, this is the standard of uprightness Jesus purchased for all humanity on the cross. Amen. 2 Corinthians 5.21. For he, that's God, hath made him, Christ, to be sin for us, sinners, who knew, that word knew means didn't become intimate with sin, why? So that we, sinners, might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So whoever accepts Christ as their Savior, you receive God's right standing. That was his idea, not ours. You receive God's right standing or his righteousness, praise the Lord, amen, which frees you, listen, which frees you to approach God's throne without sin consciousness. David Ingalls wrote a song years ago uh, I, am the righteousness, I am the righteousness of God in Christ, a brand new creation in him. I can now approach the presence of God without condemnation of sin. Amen. God's righteousness says this, that your slate is clean, just like you've never sinned before. That's the kind of, that's the kind of faith that God wants you to have when you approach his throne. Because even when you do stumble, and there will be, listen, as long as we're strapped to this Adamic nation, temptation is going to be with us. We'll talk about all these things as we go on. But God's righteousness is in your DNA, not in your flesh, but in your spirit. Praise God. You have right standing with God. That's why when you do transgress and your heart is pricked or convicted, that's the spirit of God wanting you. He's supporting you, not condemning you. He's supporting you to get it right to correct that course of life that you're taking, those words you're saying, those actions you are doing. He wants you to correct your course so that you can carry on God's righteousness into those to, towards those who need it. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Jesus became your sin bearer on the cross. And once you receive him, you become in right standing with God. Again, the word righteousness in the Hebrew means just or upright in character or act. It means justified. The word justify in the dictionary means to defend, watch this, or uphold as blameless, to defend or uphold as blameless, just or right. Oh, I love this part. To absolve guilt, to acquit, or to relieve from a fault or a crime. 
Hebrews, it means justified in Hebrew means to render or to show as regard as just or innocent. So see, it was God's idea to absolve our guilt. It was his idea to destroy the yoke of bondage in our lives so that we could serve God in spirit and in truth. Jesus solidified this on the cross when he cried, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He rendered us innocent, absolved us of guilt, and acquitted us. Praise God. That's why I'm so grateful. I've been serving God for almost 50 years, and I'm, every day I'm so overwhelmed with gratitude for what Jesus did for me on the cross. Hallelujah. That he's seated at the right hand of God, supporting me and supporting you. When Philip was being stoned to death for preaching the gospel in Acts 7, as he took his last breath, listen, he cried out, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge, or don't, don't put this on their account. Please forgive them for what they're doing. See, he had the same attitude that Jesus had. Lord, forgive them. They don't really know what they're doing. Don't lay this sin against their charge. Oh, man, that's powerful. And that cry of mercy, listen, is what acquitted Saul of murder so that God could get Saul's attention and then turn him into a Paul. And it was Paul who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament instructing us how to live for Christ. One man. See, you can be that one who prays for those that you work with, those your neighborhood. Pray for them because God wants to save them because he already did the work on Calvary. God is not holding. I mean, you may have a neighbor that is such a sinner. He's vile, corrupt, whatever. God does not lay their sin to their charge if you'll pray for them. God is in support of saving them. But he's got to have somebody to work through. That's our ministry. It's called reconciliation. Letting people know that they can coexist in harmony with God, their creator. Oh, man, that's the gospel. That's the good news. But how will they know, Paul says in Romans 10, unless you tell them? Amen. Now, in Genesis, the fourth chapter, this is where righteousness, the word righteousness, is first displayed. And it has to do with Cain and Abel. Amen. And, um, of course, these were two sons of Adam and Eve. And both sons grew up under dad and mom, understood the spiritual responsibilities of their lives, knew right from wrong, amen. They taught them about sacrifice. They taught them about their relationship with God. They taught them about sin, amen. Both boys, okay? And in Hebrews 11, Paul actually talks about this story and it's also in 1 John, so we're going to look at this story regarding righteousness. Amen. Now, this, of course, is, this is after Adam transgressed in the garden. Amen. This is chapter 11, verse 4 of Hebrews. Now, prompt, prompted, the, and then there's this word actuated. That actually means motivated. So, prompted or motivated by faith, Abel brought God a better and more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, because of which it, the acceptable sacrifice was testified of him that he was righteous, that he was upright and in right standing with God. Watch this. And God bore witness, where? Within Abel's heart, that by, by accepting and acknowledging his gifts. Amen. See, Abel understood. This is the younger boy now. See, both boys have been taught the same truth. But it, it, there's one thing to be taught it. 
there's another thing to walk in it, all right? And Abel knew his relationship with God was not attained through the sacrifice alone. He understood that. In fact, it's not what he brought that gave him right standing with God, but it's how he brought it. It's not what he brought, but it's how he brought it. He brought it, with, uh, um, it, he brought it as it bore witness in his heart. Uh, once he, once he, I don't show you how he brought it, but he, he brought it, and when he brought it with the heart, right, uh, right heart attitude, two things happened. He knew that he was forgiven of his sins and that he had right standing with God. God bore witness, son, I'm proud of you. You brought the right sacrifice, but it's not what you brought, it's how you brought it. That was the difference, and we'll see this in a moment. Cain, on the other hand, also brought an offering, but it was an offering of self-righteousness. Self-righteousness. It's amazing how we are all qualified, how we're also, we're, we're so, all of us are so qualified to judge the actions of others, but fail to judge our own actions. But Abel did. He had that right in his life. But Cain, his offering was one of self-righteousness. How do we know? Because in Genesis 4, God himself comes to Cain, listen, to confront the relational warfare that was going on on the inside of his heart, which was displayed through uncontrolled anger. Read it, Genesis, the fourth chapter. Uh, first six verses will tell you that uh, God literally came to Cain and said, Cain, wake up. I, 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 please, I want your attention. I want you to be restored. I want your life to be blessed. I don't want you to be snared by the devil. But Cain justified his actions by refusing to accept the responsibility of judging himself. So he rejected God's word. Guess what? So his offering was rejected as well. So like his brother, it wasn't what Cain brought as much as it was the heart attitude in which he brought it. Let me give you an example. And because this, these things are really serious. See, you can come to church and not get a thing from God. Let's just simply say you come to church and you've you're got your hands up, you're, lifted, you're worshiping God, but inside there's an internal warfare, relational warfare going on because that's what life is. Did you ever notice you don't have warfare with your dog? It's other people. It can be family. It can be friends. It can be a coworker. And you've got a relational war going on on the inside of you. It is creating uh, uh, envy, jealousy, bitterness, spite. I mean, uh, all sorts of ungodly things on the inside of your heart and in your mind. And so here you are worshiping God. And guess what? Though you are worshiping God, God is not accepting your act of worship. Because you haven't dealt with the internal warfare. This is, and, and so you leave, listen, you leave the, you're like you came unchanged. A preacher said years ago, he said, your spiritual life is like this. It's either going like this or it's going like this. It's never level. It's either this way or this way. And boy, when you're holding animosity and unforgiveness in your heart, uh, and, and you can be, got your hands lifted up, it's kind of, here's another thing. That's important. It's you standing there in your family. It, your family sees the dissension, the strife, 
the, 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 the anger, uh, the, the behavior that you're displaying at home. And then you come here and you got your hands lifted up. And it brings such confusion for them because they can't discern the difference. It would be much better if you were down here on your knees at the altar repenting before God. Then they would see that, hey, that's important in your life when, you, when you'll have those same problems when you grow up. It's not what they brought that brought acceptance from God to them. It's how they brought it. Paul actually addressed this. It's amazing how Paul targeted this in 1 Corinthians 11 when it came to receiving communion. And I'd like to read this. This is what Paul says. Let a man thoroughly examine himself. This is 1 Corinthians 11 verse 28. The Amplified. Let a man thoroughly examine himself, and only when he has done, so should he eat of the bread and drink of this cup. For anyone who eats, now he's right into the church here, okay? He's right into the church. Verse 29. For anyone who eats and drinks without discriminating and recognizing with due appreciation that it is Christ's body, He eats and drinks a sentence, a verdict of judgment upon himself. Think about that. He said, man, you can come to church and you can be worshiping God and literally getting just the opposite of what you want. Judging your heart is an ongoing practice in your life every day because there's things that come with you seven different directions. And you just have to learn how to, remember what Paul, uh, no, uh, Solomon said in Proverbs 4, you've got to protect your heart with all diligence, for it determines the course of your life. Let's read on. So, that careless and unworthy participation, that careless and unworthy participation, is the reason many of you are weak and sickly, and quite enough of you have fallen into the sleep of death. For if we searchingly examined ourselves, detecting our shortcomings and recognizing our own condition, not our neighbors, not our wives, not our husbands, not our children, your own, okay? We should not be judged and penalty decreed by the divine judgment. Amen. We should be very careful when we think there's no divine judgment. It's not divine judgment in the sense that God's getting after you. No, it's the divine judgment in the fact that you're reaping what you're allowing to be seated in your heart. That's the judgment. But when we fall short of and are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined to chasten. So God knows how to discipline his kids. And I want that in my life. I want God to discipline me. I want him to chasten me so that as a child I grow up and accept responsibilities for his word, and his will in my life so that we may not finally be condemned to eternal punishment along with the world. So now we know it's not what you bring to God, but it's how you bring it that bears witness within your heart that you have right standing with God. Oh, it's so wonderful. Back to Hebrews 11.4. By an act of faith, Abel, this is the Message Bible, Abel brought a better sacrifice to God than Cain. Watch this. It's what he believed. It's what he believed, not what he brought, that made the difference. There it is. That's what God noticed and approved as righteous. And after all these centuries, that belief continues to catch our notice. Again, it's not what he brought. 
It's how he brought it. He recognized that he was in no different condition than his brother. But he chose, listen, he chose a higher road. He chose to be godlike in an ungodly situation. We'll see this in a moment. Now, Abel believed that to remain in right standing with God, listen, loving his brother unconditionally was required. It was required. Which obviously he'd already settled within his heart before he brought his offering because God accepted it. Can we prove that from scripture? Of course. First John 3, verse 11. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning that we should what? Love one another. Love one another. You got to remember, all three letters, the little letters that Paul, that, excuse me, John wrote, one, two, and three, the, the entire subject matter is love, the God kind of love. So he's saying, for this is the message that you heard from the beginning, beginning, referring back to Genesis, that we should love one another. Amen. Hallelujah. It's about discerning the value of God's love and putting into action. Also, don't forget that John was known as the apostle of love. Therefore, I think it was very fitting that God would choose him to use this example of Cain and Abel regarding the presence and absence of love. Well, one brother chose to exercise the God kind of love and therefore received God's divine favor. The other brother rejected, rejected God's word, rejected God's will. Hallelujah. Uh, not hallelujah. And, 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 and lost his right standing with God. Let's read it. First John 3, verse 11. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning. That's Genesis. That we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of that wicked one. He didn't start out that way. Listen, he didn't start out that way. He started out right relationship with God. He was raised as a little boy to be humble, uh, to be submissive, to be subservient. Listen, he was the oldest brother of both. So he was the one that's supposed to exemplify and take the leadership spiritually uh, for his brother to follow. So even his responsibility was far greater. And, and why did he, why? And, he, he, and, and he, he was of that wicked one and slew his brother. And the Bible says, why? Why did he kill him? Because his works were evil and his brothers were righteous. It's funny, when you live an upright life before God, there's going to be some that don't like it. Why? Because every time they see you, there's a conviction in the heart that they need to raise their level of commitment to God. They amplified, for this is the message, the announcements which you have got, that which you have heard from that first, that we should love one another and not be like, and not be like, you can be, and not be like Cain. You got to avoid this. This is New Testament. And don't be like Cain. Don't be. Watch this. Who took. When you take something, it means you didn't have it before you took it. He took his nature and got his motivation from the evil one and slew his brother. And Why? Why? Because his deeds, activities, works were wicked and malicious, and his brothers were righteous and virtuous. See, just as you, your life has changed from one degree of glory to another, if you're going the other way, it changes from one degree of, of compromise to another. All of a sudden, you find yourself, you still think you're with God. Years ago, we, um, in 1983, um, uh, I flew to, um, uh, took a trip to Russia. Remember, that was during communism. And uh, uh, we, there were 11 of us that went <clears throat> on that trip. And um, it was a glorious trip. But when we went there to Russia, <clears throat> while we were there, uh, an airplane 
I remember, I used to remember what, who it was, what it was. I think it was a Japanese airline. Was shot down because it had, it had what happened was that slowly but surely, their uh, radar led them slowly but surely closer, 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 closer to the edge of the Russian boundary where they were supposed to fly. And when they got just into it, they shot it down, killed all, whatever, 400 passengers. Just because they didn't realize that they were, they were all of us, they were closer, closer, closer getting to the enemy's boundaries, didn't know it. It says, I believe you don't want to live your life on the fence. How close can I get to the world before I fall in? Well, people pay a great price for that. God doesn't want that in your life. He wants you to be blessed. Amen. We're going to wind this up back to 1 John, verse, 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him, and walk in darkness. Now remember now, walk in, again, study the Bible in context because you can go all back, you can go over to chapter 2 here and see he's referring to Cain and Abel. You can walk in darkness, and if we, uh, let me say it again. If we say that we have fellowship with God and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. See, when you're walking in love, you're walking in the light, because God is love and God is light. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess, this is so beautiful about it, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Meaning what? You're restored into, back, restored into right relationship with God again. But it's amazing how, how often that we justify holding out against our brothers. We justify the fact that somebody did something to us, therefore we have a right to hold that to them. No, that just works against you. That works against you. I loved up this, I didn't go to the scripture, I could quote so many scriptures, the book of John, excuse me, the book of Mark, the, fourth, uh, the 10th chapter talks about the mountain moving faith. But Radford talks about that. He says, and when you stand praying, when you stand praying, forgive. Let it go and let it drop. Let it go and let it drop. So you, you can't afford to take the spirit of Cain into your life. Rather, take the spirit of Abel. That no matter what, he was going to stay in love. No matter how his brother was behaving. You know what's so sad? <clears throat> God came to him and tried to correct him. He said, no, here's what he said to Cain. Cain, this is Genesis 4. He said, Cain... If you do well, will you not be accepted? Now, the word accepted there, I looked up one day in the Hebrew. I was blown away by what it said in the Hebrew. He says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? That word means to be promoted in rank or character. And I read that, and I go, I said, Father, why does it say rank or character instead of rank and character? And the Spirit of God said back to me, he says, because Cain had the rank, but he lacked the character. He lacked the character. See, that's what it's all about in your life. You're, in your life, you must just expect, you know, we're all the same. All have the same challenges, the same temptations, the same battles. But you can have a Cain outcome, or you can have an Abel outcome. And man, when you walk in love, and you, keep, you keep things under the blood of Jesus Christ, you walk in the favor of God, you walk in the blessings of God when you do that. 
Amen. That's what God wants from you. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to pray for you today. Remember what Paul says? Let a man examine himself. The good news, this is the good news. You have right standing with God. If you're a believer in Christ, you have right standing with God. But that right standing with God can be disrupted by our will to resist the will of God. And, and then, you know what happens? You take on the spirit of self-righteousness. And um, then you actually are moving away from the center of God's will. God doesn't want that for your life. So if you bow your head in your homes today, and if you're listening somewhere else, I just want to pray for you. And uh, many years ago, I've said this story before, but many, many years ago, I had a gentleman uh, had sold him uh, our, our business, and um, he took it over. He had it about six months, ran into the ground, and filed bankruptcy. And what happened was that I had to, I had to um, pay... Now, this is, this is after we started Faith Family Church. Two things. I had to go back on the road trucking, number one. And num- during, during we trying to build this ministry, my precious wife was here alone with three children, young children, eight, four, and six months old. And I would leave on, 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 on Sunday afternoon, and, and I would travel across the country all week, and I'd come back on Saturday, preach on Sunday, and leave again. I did that for six months. And... Um, he filed bankruptcy on us, and, and so it took me seven years to pay that off. The payment was more than enough to buy an awesome car, probably Cadillac. I mean, it was... So I was driving down the road one day, and I said, um, and I was just mauling this over in my mind. And just like that, the Spirit of God, in my vehicle, the Spirit of God spoke, um, and he said it in this tone. He says, you forgive him. And I just jacked up. I said, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Father, I forgive him. I let it go. I'm not going to think about it anymore. I'm not going to talk about it anymore. I let it go by faith. And that's why he did. He taught me that I let it go by faith. My emotions were still out of line. My feelings were still out of line. But my faith was released when I spoke it. Father, I forgive him by faith. And you know what? Supernaturally, God paid that $13,000 debt that I had. See, I was the, I was the co-signer of the note. And uh, therefore, I was responsible for it. So it was was a hard lesson to learn. But I kept my heart right. Only because God convicted me. So same with you. Man, if you've got something ill will against someone, just just tell them, Lord. Just just say, Lord, I I just forgive them by faith right now. I, I, I just let that go. I let it drop. If you do that, see, not only can God work in that person's life, because oh, don't you want good for everyone? Even your enemies? That's what Jesus said you're supposed to. So God can work in their lives, and God will bless your life. Amen. Father, I just pray right now for the congregation or those listening online. God, right now, if there's anyone out there, Father, that really is holding things in their heart because they've been done wrong, people have done things to them, Abba, Father, I pray that they heard the cry of my heart. And Holy Spirit, I'm trusting you right now to convict them in their hearts that they can let it go and let it drop. They don't have to be like Cain, holding on to things. It doesn't profit anything. But they let it go by faith. That they'll be able, walk in the higher level of love, the God kind of love. 
Father, I'm so grateful that every time we miss it, God, we, we can come to you and you're extremely merciful and compassionate and kind and forgiving and you restore us into right favor with you. I give you praise for that, God. Thank you, sir. Thank you. So, Lord, right now by faith, just say this out loud. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, that thing that I've been holding on to, I let it go by faith in Jesus' name. And I pray that mercy will prevail in both their lives and mine. And I receive your blessing now in Jesus' name. Now, Father, I ask you, God, to bless every household, every relationship, every marriage, every home, child to child, child to parent, parent to child, God, that there be healing flowing in our houses today in Jesus' precious name. God, I thank you. I praise you for the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I, favor you that, I, I praise that we walk in your favor today. Thank you for the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from all sin. God, thank you. We receive it all, all by faith. In Jesus' precious name. And you say amen? Amen. I want you to, this week, please remember. Well, first of all, Wednesday night service will be online. Hallelujah. So come back online with us on Wednesday. It'll be our last one. And then please be praying for our president. Be praying for our nation. I'm concerned. Just because of the fact that how many businesses are suffering right now economically? And I own the business. I have the heart of businessmen. And I'm just praying for our president. He'll have the, uh, the, the counsel of the Holy Spirit regarding this difficult time in America's history. So you don't take it lightly. You'd be praying for our nation, for the leaders, even locally here. And I just declare in the name of Jesus that COVID, uh, that COVID virus, that 19, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus Christ. And I command you to lose everyone in Sioux Falls and in South Dakota. We drive you out of the state by faith in Jesus' name. God, thank you for bringing healing and wholeness to our church today. In Jesus' precious name. Hey, thank you for coming on, listening. Be doers of the word, not hearers only. And God will bless you for it. We'll see you on Wednesday night. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to today's message. We'd love for you to join us for our Sunday morning service at 10 o'clock. We also have our midweek service every week on Wednesday nights from 7 to 8. Thanks again for listening. Have a great day.